With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast on Tuesday, February 1st, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. Virtual privacy network will allow you to go online, change your location, access things that you're currently geo-blocked from, while also keeping your data safe online. So, for example, if you're an English expat living abroad and you want access to BBC iPlayer, a Liberty Shield VPN is what you need to get around the geo-blocking. It's a new month. We have a new code. Router50 at libertyshield.com. Router50 will get you 50% off your Liberty Shield VPN router. So it's $7.99 instead of the usual $15.99. LibertyShield.com, the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot. Check it out. Get using. Get watching what it is that you want to watch. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy or on their own websites. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 at checkout and get yourself 10% off. Right, folks. It's all over by the shouting. The transfer window has came and went and we can all now go back to mulling over what our teams might want to do until the summer. It feels like it was a little bit underwhelming. But Premier League teams spent a total of 295 million this month which is the second highest spending in January in the history of the Premier League now obviously much of this was spent by Newcastle United and we'll we'll come to them the only time we've seen more spent in a January was 2018 that's the the January in which Liverpool brought in Virgil van Dijk I believe City brought in America Port as well in that same window. But all in all, it, it does feel like certain teams have missed big opportunities. So I want to start there today with teams that I think have missed big opportunities to strengthen their team, to make a real case 
for achieving their goals this season. So let's start with Manchester United. Now, I said all along, I didn't think they'd sign anybody in this window. And my logic behind that was, well, they have a caretaker manager. Why would you give Ralph Ragnick money to spend on players that suit his way of playing that may not be suited to whoever the permanent manager in the summer and how they want to play is? So, United fans pushed back on that and said, but Ranić will help pick the next manager. Ranić is going to be making decisions moving forward, and I don't believe that he will be. Ralph Ranić signed a contract to manage Manchester United until the end of this season. There is a possibility, I think, that they keep him as manager beyond that, maybe for another year, if the guy they want is not available, and he does well enough between now and May. But the two years that he signed for after this season, their consultancy role, it's a consultancy role. Now, Ralph Ranić owns his own consultancy firm and has been for a number of years consult consulting with many other football clubs around Europe, ranging in size and ambition and whatever. It's not a day-to-day -day thing for him. He's not operating solely for those individual clubs. He doesn't just focus on them. He doesn't focus on them every day. He may not ever focus on them himself at all. He may well have people employed to do that. The reason they had to give Ranić a two-and-a-half-year agreement was because he had two-and-a-half years left on his contract at Lokomotiv Moscow and wasn't willing to give that up. I don't know how much input Ralph Ranić will have in picking the next Manchester United manager. I don't know how much impact he'll have in the transfer policy moving forward because the only people that do know that are internal at Manchester United. And with Ed Woodward leaving and the new man taking over, not having said a whole bunch, we don't really know what the plan is going to be. It's an internal appointment, promotion, which means it could very well be much of what we've seen before. And what we've seen during Ed Woodward's time in charge is a real lack of focus, a lack of a plan, a lack of direction. United currently sit fourth in the Premier League. They're one point ahead of West Ham and two ahead of Arsenal and Spurs. Arsenal have a game in hand on them. Spurs have two games in hand on them. You would not, on the basis of what we've seen so far, make them favourites to finish fourth. Anthony Martial has left. Ahmed Diallo has left. Donny van de Beek has left. They've all gone on loan. Now, none of them are starters, but van de Beek and Martial are depth. Now, Martial was away from the team for a little while with an injury. And then there was some question marks over his commitment to the team. But then he did make the goal that helped them beat West Ham. And now he's gone on loan to Sevilla. Van de Beek has barely played in the Premier League this season. But if Bruno Fernandes gets hurt, he surely would have been the one that steps in. Now, Bruno doesn't get injured. Uh, I think in his career, he's only had one real injury. And that was at United from overplaying him. But they'll be hoping he can stay fit. 
They've also obviously lost Mason Greenwood potentially for the rest of the season. It's it's hard to know what happens with him. Um, the latest on him that I saw from the BBC website was that the police had been granted more time. Police given more time to question Greenwood over rape claim. Uh, police have been granted more time to question Mason Greenwood who was arrested on suspicion of rape and assault. The 20-year-old footballer was arrested on Sunday following allegations on social media. Greater Manchester Police said he would remain in custody for questioning. The Manchester, Manchester United earlier said the forward would not be returning to training or matches until further notice. He has not responded to the allegations. The GMP said detectives have been granted additional time to speak to a man in his 20s who has been held on suspicion of rape and assault of a woman. Inquiries are ongoing and the victim is being offered specialist support. We remind people to avoid any commentary or sharing of images that could compromise the victim's right to lifelong anonymity or risk prejudicing a live investigation with active proceedings. Now, the idea of her becoming anonymous is a nonsense because everybody knows who she is and it is on her social media but I, I do agree with the purpose of prejudicing the investigation uh, Greenwood who made his debut for Manchester United in March 2019 signed a four year contract in February of 2021 after rising to the ranks the club said they do not condone violence of any kind and had been made aware of the allegations, but would make no further comment until facts have been established. Nike have also released a statement saying, we have suspended our relationship with Mason Greenwood. We are deeply concerned by the disturbing allegations and will continue to monitor closely the situation. Greenwood apologised after being dropped by Gareth Southgate for breach of coronavirus. That, that's unimportant. A month later, he was um, defended by Oli Gunnar Solskjaer after being late for training. So, look, Greenwood is out for the foreseeable future, potentially forever. So that gets him gone. So forgetting what the case is, from a footballing point of view, he's out of the picture. Diallo is out of the picture, who you would have expected to pick up the slack of Greenwood's minutes. Van de Beek is gone. And Martial is gone. So United are sort of down to the bare bones in attack. And there is a little image, a little image floating around of a, um, a squad depth list. So they've got De Gea and Henderson in goal. So you'd say that's fine. Delo and Wan-Bissaka right back. It's not ideal, but they'll get through. Varane and Lindelof as the right-side centre-backs. Maguire and Bailly as the left-side centre-backs. Those Lindelof and Bailly should really be switched there. Shaw and Tellez as the left-backs. That's okay. Their holding midfielders are McTominay and Matic. It's not great. Not great at all. The central midfielders are Fred and Pogba. It's not ideal. They've got Fernandez and Mata as the number 10s. You often will forget that Juan Mata still plays for Manchester United. Now, on the right wing, they've got Sancho and Lingard could play there. On the left wing, they've got Rashford and Alanga could play there. And up front, it's Ronaldo and Cavani. Now, the problems here are that Sancho's having a terrible season. 
Rashford is having a terrible season, although he has scored two and two. And Ronaldo and Cavani are 37 and 36, respectively, I think, or 37 and 35, respectively. Both well past their best. Ronaldo only plays for himself, and Cavani is injury-prone. So there's a lot of issues with this United squad. And it feels like they're one injury away from potentially falling into a bit of a rut and falling back out of the top four. West Ham are the next team that I think have missed a big opportunity here. So if we look at the first half of the season, even though United are fourth, I think everybody would agree they've underperformed. I think Tottenham have underperformed. And I think everybody would agree with that. They obviously had that good run when Conte took over, but their start to the season after the first three games was awful. Sacked the manager, etc., etc. Arsenal have probably... They seem to have outperformed some people's expectations, but they're about where you would have expected them to be, which is sixth. You know, somewhere between sixth and eighth is about what they are. West Ham don't really feel like they've outperformed expectation to be fifth. They may have thought we'll finish seventh or whatever this season, because I think the expectation coming into the year was that United and Tottenham would both be better than them and that Arsenal could potentially be better than them as well and that Leicester would be in that mix. But just by moseying along as they did last season, they find themselves in fifth, one point off fourth, admittedly one game more played, but in a very good position. With a real chance of sneaking into the Champions League. Like a real chance of it this year. But the issues they have are at centre-back, because Ogbonna got hurt. Now, Zuma is back, but Moyes seems to want to play Craig Dawson with Zuma rather than Issa Diop. And Dawson, while he is what would be seen as a reliable presence, is not very good. He just isn't very good. He had a good run when he first went to West Ham, largely because he scored a few goals from set pieces. But when the goals dried up and people actually started to look at him as a defender, you realise that the previous three years at Watford and West Brom weren't just a dip. That was his new level. And unfortunately for West Ham, he's not good enough to be starting games for them. And if Issa Diop isn't trusted to start games... They really needed to go and find themselves a central defender that they trusted, that Moyes would trust. Now, they probably need that anyway, even with without the fact that Ogbonna is hurt, because let's remember, he was 35 before he got injured. He is at the tail end of his career, maybe 34, but he's at the tail end of his career. They were going to need to replace him anyway. So you would have thought they'd have had lists of players that they wanted for those positions. Last summer, we heard about Duja Kletakar. We heard about uh, Nikola Milinkovic. You thought maybe in this window, they'd go back in for one of them. Leading up to deadline day, there was talk that Kletakar could be a target. As it turned out, nothing materialized there. They were going to have to replace 
Ogbonna. He's hurt. They need needed to replace him in this window. They couldn't afford really to wait till the summer. They haven't done it. I think that's going to cost them. They've already conceded 31 goals this season, which is not very good. Only Leicester in the top half have conceded more goals. And Burnley, who are nailed to the bottom of the league, have conceded less goals. So it's not ideal, especially for Moyes, who likes to build his team on a solid defence. Then you look at the other end of the pitch. Now, Jared Bowen has been running hot in recent weeks, and it's sort of boosted his goal tallies across the board. But it's a massive step up from the production he's shown in the last couple of seasons. So can you rely on him to sustain that? And the thing about it is, he's not scoring as a number one option. Like, he's not got 12, 14 Premier League goals. I think he's got, is it six or seven? He's basically scoring the way your second option would, the way your, you know, your secondary attacker. For United, it would be Marcus Rashford, maybe, if the number nine was Martial. Rashford would be the secondary, or or Greenwood would be number one and Rashford would be number two. For Liverpool, Mane, uh, Salah is one, Mane is two. For City, Sterling is probably number one. And maybe you'd say Mares is number two. He's scoring like that, not quite at the level that they do when they're at their best, but in that sort of vein. And the problem is they don't have anyone scoring like a number one, like a real goal getter in attack. Mikel Antonio offers a lot, but he's not a big time goal scorer. He never has been. So you were looking at it thinking they need to get more goals into the team, even if it's an option off the bench who potentially can be developed as a long-term successor to Antonio or even a short-term successor, someone who was late 20s and would maybe give you two or three good years and Antonio could transition into a squad role and come off the bench and play in certain games where his particular skill set might be best suited. But they did nothing. There was rumours that they went in for Darwin Nunes and he turned them down. How true that is, I don't know. It feels like they've just left themselves a little bit short. And that could cost them a top four spot. Because personally, I don't trust Manchester United or Arsenal. I do trust Conte. I don't know that I trust a lot of those Spurs players. But I know I trust Moyes. And I know I trust the players because I saw last season what they did. I didn't trust them prior to last season, maybe, but I do now. And I did think with one or two additions, and it didn't have to be big money. It really didn't. I thought they could have solidified the two needs in their squad. Now, they also need a body in midfield, but they'll get by. They seem to get very ambitious. And there was talk of bids for Rafinha. There was talk of a bid for uh, Calvin Phillips. Neither of them turned out to be anything at all. If there is interest in Phillips, it says to me that they know Rice is leaving in the summer. Because as much as I love Calvin Phillips, I don't think Rice and Phillips is enough of an upgrade on Suchek and Rice to warrant a 50 million outlay. Rafinha is obviously a brilliant player, would be their best player the minute he walked in the door. 
But he plays the same role as Bowen. Now, maybe the plan was to move Bowen to the number nine position. And if that is the plan, it's not a bad plan. It's just that Jared Bowen hasn't really played all that well as a number nine. Now, maybe it's a transition you think he can make. And he certainly got good enough movement. He's very quick. And he is more an end-of-move type player than someone who's particularly proficient in the build-up play. But I just... I felt like there was moves they could make that made sense. And, like I said, Coletta Carr would have made sense to me. He's available. His club are desperate to sell. And why wouldn't you make that move if he's someone you've targeted long-term? Nikola Milenkovic is another one. Now, he extended his contract for a year. I think it might have been that Fiorentina had the option to extend his contract by a year. But he's at a, at a contract in 2023. 18, 20 million probably would have got him, probably would have got Coletta Carr. Instead, you get neither, and you're relying on Craig Dawson. You've got a weak link at left back if Cresswell gets hurt because Masawak is not a particularly good left back. You're a little bit short in midfield. So it wasn't the only two holes, but they were the two biggest holes. A quality centre-back who could come in and be a starter straight away next to Kurt Zuma. And someone that you could rely on up front to bring you some goals. It just feels like a missed opportunity. As does what Arsenal did. Now, look, the players they got rid of, I don't think anyone would argue too much with. Kalasnik, he rarely played. Chambers rarely played. But you've been leaving yourself short on depth for a while now. You also loaned out Pablo Mari, so there's three defensive players gone. You wrote, uh, loaned out Ainsley Maitland-Niles, who I think would probably do a job for you in midfield right now. You loaned out Balogun, and now they've let go Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who has joined Barcelona after one of the most bizarre deadline day ordeals since Peter Odenwingi turned up at Loftus Road to tell QPR that they were signing him. Um, Aubameyang flew to Barcelona before any deal was in place, was on his way back, and an agreement was reached that Arsenal would terminate his contract. They would pay a portion of his wages until the end of this season, and then Barcelona would sign him to an 18-month deal in which they'd pay a portion this season and then he'd earn far less next season. It says a lot about how desperate Aubameyang was to get away from Arsenal. And I think if you look at it, on the face of things, considering they signed him in 2018, January 2018, that was part of that record summer window that I was talking, or January window I was talking about. They paid 56 million for him on deadline day in 2018. 56 million. 
and four years later he leaves for nothing. Now he is thirty-two, so he is obviously, and we've seen the the regression in him over eighteen months, but still, it's a lot of money that went down the drain for what was a good two and a half years. Like he had a great first six months; he scored ten and fourteen in all competitions. Then he got thirty-one and fifty-one, twenty-nine in forty-four. Then they gave him the big new contract, despite being fairly obvious that it wasn't a good idea. And that was around the time that this podcast started. I said at the time, that's not a good idea. They signed Willian as well. And you've seen what's happened the last two years. Now, last year, look, you can look at the face of it and say he got 15 goals in 39 games. But we all watched those games and we know he didn't play well. This season, he's got 7 and 15. But again, you're watching those games. You know he's not playing well. And it is boosted by a hat-trick in one game in the League Cup. Only 4 in 14 in the Premier League. And having won a golden boot, or maybe it was a two golden boots he won. Um, one golden boot in 1819. He has gone on to have a bad 18 months with only 14 goals, which is less than he scored in either of the previous two seasons. So in 18 months, he scored less goals than he had in either of the previous two seasons. That's That's a decline. But the thing for Arsenal now is, you look at their squad, at right back, they've got Tommy Asu, who I really like, and Cedric. And is he ideal? No. He's not really what you want there. He's also a very different type of right back than Tommy Asu. Chambers made more sense as a backup to Tommy Asu, that right back who's probably more natural as the right side of a three, a defensive minded player. Cedric's much more attack minded. So if Tommy Asu's not there, the guy you're bringing in changes how you play. It's kind of the same thing at left-back, where they've got Kieran Tierney, who, again, I really like. But again, he's probably more naturally the left side of a back three, whereas Nuno Tavares is a converted winger and has the defensive awareness of a wheelie bin. He's quick and he's aggressive and it saves him, but he's not a good defender. He's a good player. He's not a good defender. You've got Ben White and Gabrielle as your starting centre-backs. I really like Gabrielle. I'm not high on, on White at all. You've got Rob Holding now as your only backup centre-back because you let Mary go. And I quite like Mary as a backup centre-back. And he made sense because he's left-footed. If Gabrielle is out, he just slots in there and the team can play a similar way. If Gabrielle misses a game now and Rob Holding has to step in, it changes the geometry of your passing network entirely. So you're setting up to play a different way. So all three of their backup defenders are very different to the guys who start. Like, you look at their centre-backs. Ben White's a ball player. Gabrielle's a ball player. Now, Gabrielle will do the dirty work as well, but but Rob Holding is, a, is an agricultural centre-back. He's a guy that heads it and kicks it and does very little else. So it's a big departure from what you actually want to have him as your backup. And again, I'm not saying he's particularly good, but Callum Chambers would make more sense as a backup to Ben White because he's decent on the ball. Now, they will have Saliba to come back in the summer, but that doesn't help them now. You look at the midfield situation. They spent weeks trying to do a deal for Arthur Mello, who's a good player. 
But Juventus clearly wanted something that Arsenal's board weren't willing to sign off on. But Arsenal clearly wanted a midfield player. And Bruno Gomerich is that perfect midfield player to go with Thomas Partey. He can do the holding job very, very well. He's not a particularly aggressive player, but he does win the ball back a lot. And he's a brilliant distributor of the football. He's very progressive. He's very accurate with his passing. He's got good passing range. He sees the field really well. And you just let him slip by and go to Newcastle. And you'd been credited with interest in him for at least a year. And yet you did nothing about it. So now you've left yourself in a position where once again, you've got Thomas Partey, Granit Xhaka, and Lekonga as your midfielders. And I think Lekonga in time could become a good player, but right now he's still very, very raw. Xhaka is... I mean, there's still Arsenal fans who try and argue that he's an important player to their team, despite the fact that all their best results this season came without him. Despite the fact that we have years and years of evidence that show that Granit Xhaka is not a particularly good player at the Premier League level. And you're still relying on him. Like, you tried to sell him last summer. Nobody wanted him. Then Roma were like, okay, we'll take him. We'll give you 12 million. You tried to get 20, which, by the way, is half of, oh, well, no, it's, you paid 34 from. So it's a big loss on, you know, what you paid from, and he should theoretically be in his prime. And then because Roma wouldn't pony up the extra cash, you didn't think, oh, we'll just play it out and we'll let his contract expire, we'll get rid of him. You gave him a new contract. You gave him a new contract. And you're stuck with him now. And you've got three bodies in midfield. Partey has been injury-prone since joining. Jacka is suspension prone and Lekong is really raw. So I don't see what you've got in midfield now where if you'd gone and bought Bruno Gomerish, you could have had him with Partey or with Lekonga. And I think that would have been absolutely ideal. And then up front, you've left yourself in a situation where the only two strikers you have at the club that can play at the Premier League level are Alex Lacazette and Eddie Nketiah, both of whom are at a contract in the summer neither of whom are likely to be fully committed to the Arsenal cause because they're going to be looking at sorting out their future. They're both going to be negotiating with other clubs because they're free now to negotiate with any club in Europe. And you know that despite the fact that they're not meant to be, there will be Premier League clubs making overtures, especially at Nketiah, who's a young English player. Arsenal were not a top four team. But because of how poor United have been, because of the way Spurs' season has gone, and because with West Ham, there's still that element of, yes, they could, they're they good enough to get top four, but do they have the mental toughness to do it? Like we saw with Leicester, the last two seasons, Leicester should have got top four. But between the manager and the players just sort of freezing and bottling at the end of the season, they cost themselves top four both years. West Ham may well have done the same thing. Now, I would trust Moyes 
to navigate the rough waters a little better than I trust Rodgers. But you just don't know how the players respond in those type of high-pressure games where there is something big riding on the outcome. Arsenal could have found a way, almost by default, to sneak into top four well ahead of schedule. But they spent months going down this Vlahovic route when it was clear he was never going to sign for them. Then they pivot to Isak, who's 20 million more expensive, quite a distance from being the finished product. Super talented. Like, the skill set is there. The potential is there, but he's still raw. He doesn't score enough goals. And at 75 million euro, you need a guy who's coming in and scoring you goals from the off. Like, if they were willing to pay, was it 56 million or 55 million? I think it was 55 million for Vlahovic and a loan fee of 5 million for Arthur Mello. That's about 60 million in, 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 in expenditure. Bruno Gamera should think move for 31 million plus add-ons. I'd imagine Jonathan David would have gone for maybe 35 million in add-ons. Couldn't you have found that kind of money? Remember as well, you don't pay the whole lot up front. You pay in installments. So who's to say that you couldn't have gotten Jonathan David and Gimerish in for less upfront money this month than you would have paid for Vlahovic and Arthur Mello. And you would have owned both of them. Their wages, I would guess, would have been lower than what Mello is on mega money. Mega money. I'd say he's on double what Gimerish has gotten from Newcastle. And you know Vlahovic was asking for big money, far more than Jonathan David would have been. But Jonathan David, with his movement, with his just his style of play and the flexibility he offers in that he can also play as a wide forward or just off a number nine, that fit better with the likes of Saka and Martinelli and Smith Rowe, who thrive on a number nine with good movement, who brings defenders out of channels that they can burst into and create havoc. Jonathan David was the better fit as a number nine for Arsenal. Gamerish was the perfect fit in midfield. And if they'd landed those two, even with my severe doubts over Ben White and Aaron Ramsdale, I think you'd have to look at them as the team that could have got fourth. And then next season, they can bring Saliba back. And I think he's better than Ben White. So you put him next to Gabriel. Now, Arteta might not, but when they find a real manager eventually, which they will, they're in that stage that United were in maybe a year and a half ago with Oli, still trying to fool themselves into thinking that he's the guy. They'll come to realise in time that he's not. And if you give a real manager, a high-level manager, a squad that has the attacking talent of Jonathan David, Balogun a year or 18 months down the line. Um, maybe one more striker, a different type of striker. 
uh, maybe a target man type who comes off the bench for you. Plus Saka, Pepe, Martinelli, Smith-Rowe, Odegaard. You give a high-end manager that kind of talent, they will make magic happen. You give them Gamerish and Thomas Partey in midfield with Laconga and then maybe and then Charlie Patino as for the one for the future. Well, that's what they would want. That's the type of unit they would want. And then you give them what is the makings of a potentially very good defense if Saliba comes back and claims his role. Again, the question mark I would then have is over Ramsdale, but it's not something you need to worry about in the short term. This felt like it was a big opportunity for Arsenal, a really big opportunity for them to go out and take that fourth place that they clearly want this season, that they've clearly been eyeballing because of how poor other teams have been. And they've really failed to get the job done. And with all the loans and the contract terminations, the squad is really, really tight right now. And somebody has to ask the question of Edu of, do you know what it is to sell a player? Because if we look at the departures under Edu, it really doesn't make great reading. Now, if I'm not mistaken, he became director of football in and around the January time of the 1920 season. Now, it might have been later, so maybe I'm wrong on this. But the players that left, they sold Robbie Burton to Dinamo Zagreb for 800000 out of their academy. Um, that was it for that window. Then we go into 2021 when he was definitely in charge for both windows. And you look at the transfers out. Mkhitaryan released. Sam Greenwood, very promising young striker, sold to Leeds for three million. Emmy Martinez sold to Aston Villa. Now they got twenty million, but he's a better goalkeeper than the guy they have now. He's better than all the goalkeepers they have now. So that was a mistake. But if they wanted to sell him, they had to sell him. So there's twenty-three million. They terminated the contracts of Ozil. Socrates or Socrates and Mustafi paying off big sums of money to see all those three go away. They loaned out Joe Willock, and that turned obviously into a big sale for them this past summer when he went to Newcastle. But again, it's David Louise out of contract, it's William contract termination. It's Chambers, free transfer. Kolasinic, free transfer. Aubameyang, contract terminated. He's only managed to sell two players at anything resembling real money. Joe Willock, who I think they, I still believe they'd have been better off keeping. And Martinez, uh, Emmy Martinez, who again, I think they'd be better off keeping. I just think his track record is so poor. And yet Arsenal fans will talk him up as a deal maker. But if I look at the deals that he's made, well, he, Nuno Tavares, he paid the asking price. Laconga, he paid the asking price. Ben White, he paid the asking price. Tommy Asu, I believe he wrestled them down from 18 million to 16 million. So credit to him there. But Ramsdale, he paid the asking price. And Mark Nodegaard, he paid the asking price. And if I'm not mistaken, 
Ramsdale and Odegaard have substantial add-ons to their deal, as does Lekonga. Like, what deals does he actually make? Where's the deals here? Because if I go to you and I ask you how much you want to sell your car for, and you say 10 grand, and it's clearly an eight grand car, and I say, okay, I'll give you 10 grand. I haven't made a deal in the same way that if I approach a football club and say, how much is that 25 million centre-back you have there? And you say he's 50 million. And I say, okay, here's 50 million. I haven't made a deal. I haven't made a deal at all. I've come to an agreement. It's not a deal, though. You know, same thing the previous summer with what he did. Gabrielli paid the asking price. Thomas Partey paid the asking price. Runner Alex Runnison, the worst player I've ever seen. Worst goalkeeper in the history of the Premier League. Uh, they paid the asking price. Pablo Mari paid the asking price. He did come in in that January. He definitely did come in in that January of 2020 because Pablo Mari was signed by him as a favour to an agent. So that's why Pablo Mari is there. And Cedric, also a favour to an agent. Trying to, you know, curry favour. But yeah, he's not a dealmaker. Not a dealmaker at all. He simply pays sticker price. He's that person that goes to the car dealership and just agrees to pay whatever's scrawled across the windscreen of the car. He doesn't even try and negotiate. He, the only negotiation he has to do is when he goes back to the owners and tries to get the money out of them. But like I say, it feels like a missed opportunity because he spent months and months trying to get Vlahovic done when the player clearly wasn't interested. And then he agreed to a deal with Juventus that the board just said no to. So, again, and couldn't work Juventus down to agreeing to his terms. So, there's no deal made. Wolves largely stood pat, and I think that's wise, considering how the season has gone. If there is money there, I think they're better off spending it in the summer. Now, you could possibly argue they're a little bit light up front. And the fact that they've only scored 19 goals does lean into that. Now, Adama didn't contribute a whole lot to those goals. And they are going to get Pedro Neto back. So they'll work out about even there. Leicester, I thought, should have done something in defence. By all accounts, they tried to get Matt Phillips on loan. That didn't work. Aston Villa, they had a good window. There's no doubt. Dini is an upgrade at left-back. Uh, Robin Olsen be a solid backup keeper. Callum Chambers is a clever signing as a fourth centre-back. He'll be right-back cover. Um, Coutinho, obviously, is their, is their big get of the window. It looks like they tried for a couple of others, including Yves Basuma. I wonder if Basuma in would have meant Douglas Louise out, which I think would have been a shame because I think you should put those two together and I think that's a pairing that could work very well either as a two or in a three with somebody else. Southampton, it appears they're keeping their powder dry for the summer. We know that what they want to do is, is try and keep Armando Brogia. It appears that they want to bring in Tino Angerin as well uh, and build a relationship with Chelsea and maybe become the club where, you know, if a player doesn't work out for Chelsea, doesn't make the grade, they get 
they get an early shout on it. I thought Palace would be a little bit more active. They did try and get Donny van de Beek. They did try and get Deli Ali. Both of them decided to go to Everton for reasons known only to them. Uh, the Mateta permanent deal is a bit of a surprise, but he has been playing quite well. And they did negotiate the fee down a bit, so credit to them there. Brentford's big ad was was Ericsson, but I, I think they've left themselves a little bit short. They should still be fine to stay up, but I I would have liked a wing back. They've let Charlie Good go, which is a surprise considering he's played. And they've been a bit short of centre-backs due to injuries. But with Ayer back now, maybe they're hoping they'll have Zanka back as well and, and everything will be fine. Uh, it felt like Leeds should have done something. They tried to get Minamino. I think they tried for a couple of others and didn't. I'll come back to Everton. Like, I'm going to come back to Spurs. Um, and I miss Brighton. They didn't... I think they they brought in that striker, but, I mean, he's unlikely to play much this season. I think he'll be adapting for a while. Uh, Norwich... They clearly didn't want to do too much because there is the likelihood, I suppose, of relegation hanging over them. But it felt like there could have been a move there somewhere for them to bring someone in. Guys telling me that Brighton striker's gone back on loan, so that makes sense. So they will be as is. Uh, Yeah, Norwich, I thought, could have been a bit more aggressive, just considering what the other clubs did around them. Um, Watford were busy. But they've left themselves short at centre-back because they always leave themselves short short at centre-back. Kamara, I like as a wing-back, less so as a left-back. Samir, I like in a back three, less so in a back four. Kayemba, I think, is going to be a good addition in midfield. Kalu is a really exciting addition. Potential to really click in with the likes of Saar, Dennis, Josh King. Maybe Cucho Hernandez gets more of a run under Roy, though that might seem unlikely. But they really needed a centre-back. They really needed someone who was aerially dominant. They went for Nat Phillips. They couldn't get him. I don't know why they didn't go back at the end of the window when Liverpool were looking to loan him out to Bournemouth. I think Liverpool would have taken the Premier League loan over the Championship loan. Um, Burnley, Wood out, Weghorst in. It's definitely an upgrade. I'm a little bit concerned they didn't spend the rest of that money, though. Like, surely there was a deal out there on deadline day you could have done. Todd Cantwell on loan, I think, would have been a good alternative to Orsich. Even if you did, if you think you get an Orsich in the summer, Cantwell could have done that job until then. I think they've left themselves short. I still think, when I, when I really look into it, I, I still think they're the one that will stay up. But they're gonna they're making it really tough for themselves. Now the three that are kind of interesting in a I sort of like what you did, but I'm a little bit confused sort of way. Newcastle United. I can see the logic in Trippier. I, I'm not a Trippier fan myself. I think defensively he's poor. He's improved, but he's still poor. But he will add going forward, and that's important to them. Matt Target's a weird one because Jamal Lewis is just flat out better than him and he's younger than him and I don't really understand it. Now, Lewis, is, I think, is out for a while so maybe it's short-term cover, but I did see yesterday a report that Lewis was not going to be named in the Premier League squad. 
for the rest of the season. So who knows what's the situation there. Chris Wood is a player I do like. I would not pay $25 million for him. But I think they were a little bit desperate at the time. Dan Byrne, I don't understand. I know he's a local lad. I know he's Premier League proven. He's Premier League proven as a left-back. Not as a centre-back. He's played 15 or so games as a centre-back in the Premier League. In the back two. and Or back four, as it would be. And he hasn't really been all that impressive. And that was in a system with Graham Potter, who's a much better defensive manager than than Eddie Howe. I don't really understand that one. Unless they're moving to a back three. And the logic of a back three would be you can allow Trippier more of a free roll from right wing back where when when you have the ball, he becomes more of a midfielder. And your right side centre-back in a three, I assume it would be Shar slots across to right back. So in possession, you're basically 4-3-3 or 4-4-2. Out of possession, you're you know a 5-3-2 or a 3-5-2, whatever way you want to look at it. But I, the Dan Byrne one puzzles me. It really does. It's not a bad fee, and if they go down, he's a fine player to have in the championship, but it is a bit of a weird one. Bruno Gomerich saved their window. I don't know if he saves them from relegation, but he saved their window. Because if all they'd come out of this window with was Trippier, Wood, and Dan Byrne, that would have been near catastrophic. That's a lot of average. Bruno Gomerich is a ceiling raiser. He is a truly outstanding midfielder and like I said Arsenal should have been all over him so should Spurs and I'll come on to them but Bruno Gomerich is a massive upgrade for Newcastle he he is going to be the best central midfielder they have had he's better than Johan Kabay I am struggling to think of a Newcastle central midfielder over the course of their time in the Premier League. Moreno could have become outstanding. Injuries and things slowed him. He's still a very good player, but he never became the player he could have been. Um, Batty was good, not great. Lee was good, not great. Bruno Gomerich has the talent to be the best central midfielder Newcastle have had since Gascoigne. He's that good. He really is that good. He's a great passer of the ball, great vision, great awareness, great range, great touch on his pass, lovely weight, good defensively, positionally very clever, reads the game tremendously well. But he's going to need runners either side of him, and they don't have any. Is John Joe Shelby going box to box? I mean, you could say Joe Willock and Jolington will run all day, but they run in one direction. They run going forward. They jog coming back. He needs guys who sprint coming back. I'm not sure he's enough to save them. I still think Newcastle will go down. If they do stay up, it will be because he has done madness. Everton. What a bizarre team. What a bizarre team. Everton. I like the fullback moves. 
I like Patterson. I like Michaelenko. I think in the aggregate, it's an upgrade on Dina and Coleman within 12 to 18 months. I'm confused as to why they signed Donny van der Beek and Deli Ali. Uh, Donny obviously made a bad career move going to United. I think he's compounded it with this move. At the time, it kind of made sense. Donny comes in. He's the 10 behind Calvert-Lewin. You put Gray on the right wing, Richarlison on the left wing. Dukure, when he comes back, plays next to Alan. And that's absolutely fine. He turned down Crystal Palace to agree to that move. And then they went and they signed Deli Ali. And Delhi can only play in that number 10 role. If they're going to play 4-2-3-1, that's his role which pushes Donny potentially back into midfield too. Donny and Dukure is not ideal. It's not good enough defensively. And Donny and Alan is not dynamic enough defensively. So I don't see the fit. And the fact that they've loaned him and bought Delhi, they're clearly going to want to play Delhi if it's a choice between the two of them. I think Bruno, I think Donny van der Beek will regret this move. Especially considering he had a better move waiting for him at Crystal Palace, where he would have been the sole attacking midfielder. He'd have had Gallagher and Kuyate doing the work, and he would have been able to play his natural game and potentially have the type of second half of the season that we've seen Joe Willock and Jesse Lingard have on loan, two players who aren't as good as him and maybe get his value back up. He'll still have value on the continent in the summer because he'll still be highly regarded from his time as Ajax. And most people from the outside look at United and think, God, what a train wreck. But it's just, it's a it's a concerning move for him. The Delhi one either turns out as a stroke of genius or it ends in complete disaster. They're getting him basically on a free transfer, which is weird to begin with, given he had a couple of years left on a Spurs deal. But Spurs were looking to move him on. And this is the club that we're open to taking him. Now, again, it looks like Palace pivoted and tried to get him on loan. And I think if I was Delhi, I would have pushed for that Palace move because I'd much rather play with Michael Elise, Abri Chiesi, uh, Wilf Zaha and players like that under Vieira at Selhurst Park, a positive atmosphere than at Goodison, where it's one of the most negative atmospheres in the country. You're walking into a club that have the worst manager in the Premier League. And I mean that, the worst manager in the Premier League. Look up and down. Pep, Klopp, Tuchel, Moyes, Conte, Lage, Potter, Rogers, Gerrard, Hasenhutl. Vieira, Frank, Bielsa, Smith, Hodgson, and Deich, all unquestionably better. You could maybe make a case that he's as good as Eddie Howe, but I think Eddie Howe has proven to be better than him. Ranić's not really a full-time manager, but I mean his track record is far more impressive than than Frank's, so he's better. The only one you could look at and say, well, he might be better than him, is is Arteta. But I don't think he's better than Arteta. And I don't rate Arteta at all. I think Frank Lampard is the worst manager in the league. And I, I don't think it's particularly close at most. I think he's way below the level of most of those. 
I'm not going to go back over it, but again, he failed at Derby, he failed at Chelsea. And what does he bring to this club? He's brought in uh, a group of assistant coaches. Um, one or two of them are highly regarded. Paul Lambert, or Paul Lambert, I keep calling him. Paul Clement is highly regarded from working with Carlo Ancelotti, but that's Carlo. I mean, Carlo just wins where he goes. Clement has had four managerial jobs and failed in them all. They didn't get the one they wanted from Chelsea. They didn't get the one they wanted from the England setup. So this idea that he'd spent six months putting together a group was nonsense because Clement was never mentioned. And Duncan Ferguson certainly wasn't part of it. And yet he's staying. For what reason? I have no idea. Maybe they were too scared to tell him he doesn't have a job anymore. Um, the one thing Lampard might be able to do is pass on a bit of wisdom to Delhi and to Donny, who ostensibly play the same role he did—he did an attacking mid- goal-scoring midfielder—and that's what they need those two to turn into, or one of them. With Delhi, free up front, ten million when he plays twenty games—that can't happen till next season. I think Everton only have 19 games left or something like that this season as a maximum. Um, no, they have 18 games left as a maximum this season because they're out of the Cups. So, I'm really torn on this. I love Deli Ali as a player. I When he first came through at MK Dons, I was infatuated with watching this kid play. He was so intelligent. His movement was unusual. He had that real kind of street footballer feel to him. Was devastated when Liverpool didn't get him. He went to Spurs. He was sensational for his first three years there. His last season at at MK Dons and his first three at Spurs were just different class. And then he fell off a cliff. He, there, was a gra- no, there was a gradual decline, to be fair, for about six months. And then he went over the edge of the cliff. And it's very similar to what happened to Spurs. I think if you look at Delhi and you look at Spurs... He encapsulates everything that they've been the last seven years or so. You know, that kind of underdog, unexpected title challenger who became one of the elite, who burned really hot for a while and then sizzled out. The wheels started to come off, but there was some disguising of it. And the disguising for Spurs was a run to the Champions League final while their league form cratered. And for Delhi, there was a couple of big-time performances, but he was not playing well. And then it all went to nothing, and they've underperformed. They've disappointed massively for three years. Two and a half years, not three. Two and a half years, to be fair. But still, it, it is just... It's a shame, but he's still young. And there's still a possibility that Delhi can turn this around and become the player that we all thought he was going to be. If all the add-ons and triggers in the contract are hit, it could cost Everton forty million. Now they're based on Performance, like appearances, goals, getting back in the England squad, stuff like that. If he can get back to his best, 
or even 85% of his best, he can be a big player for them. Because Delhi off Calvert-Lewin is something that works. Now, whether Calvert-Lewin is there next season or not, I don't know. But yeah, Delhi is 25. He'll be 26 in April. He's just entering his prime. He can be an outstanding player for Everton if his mindset is right. Now, the funny thing for Spurs is they've let him go for nothing. Money to come, perhaps. But they were turning down eighty million for him in two thousand and eighteen. Maybe they should have taken it. And it's not just Delhi that's been a mistake over the last few years. Endembele, outstanding talent, wonderful talent, gone on loan back to where he came from after eighteen months. Lacelso, no, thirty months. Yeah, thirty months. Signed in 2019, loan now. 30 months later, gone on loan. LaCelso, the same. Brian Hill bought six months ago, gone on loan. Spurs' business in recent times has not been great. It hasn't worked out great. The thing is, they bought LaCelso and Endombele for a manager who they sacked a couple of months later. It was also weird that they signed both of them because realistically, you're only ever going to get one of them into the team. Unless you could somehow crossbreed N'Golo Kante with Fabinho, you weren't going to be able to play those two in a midfield together. Unless you were happy to win games 4-2 and 5-3. And if you were, great. You could have done that, but you would have needed a hell of a holding midfielder. You would have needed Wilf Ndidi. And you would have needed Deli at his best to make a diamond. And you would have needed the front two to kick on. You would have needed the defence to be very good. And unfortunately, all of Spurs' bits and bobs fell apart, got old, didn't get replaced properly. And they find themselves in this situation. Now, I do like what they've done in terms of incomings. I do like Rodrigo Bentancur. Again, I think Bruno Gomerich is a better player. And I think considering they spent time negotiating with Leon over La Celso, who was going to who they thought was going to go there on loan until he turned it down. And then Endembele, who did go there, I don't know why a question wasn't asked at some point of do you want to do a swap deal? Here's Endembele. We will take Gamerish. I think Leon might have taken that. Even if you said, look, here's Endembele on loan for 18 months and an obligation to buy then. 18 months down the road, we'll take Gamerish now and we'll give you the same fee that Newcastle are going to give you. But Benton Kerr is a good player and he will improve them. If they're going to play 3-4-3, he's well suited to that. The problem is they don't really have a partner for him because Winks and Skip, while good players, are not top four caliber players. They're good squad players for a top four team. They're not starters. And Hoysberg and... Benton Kerr is not a thing that's going to work all that well. I don't think. Maybe maybe it will, but I don't think it will. I really like Kulisewski. I think that's a great deal. I really do. I think they've got a great deal with Kulisewski. And they've given themselves 18 months to get him to his best level. And if he hits his best level in that time, that fee is going to seem like a bargain. An absolute bargain. When that oblig- obligation kicks in, they will be absolutely dancing for joy at paying that little money for a player of that talent. Because he is outstanding. Um, Weird deal of the day, Aaron Ramsey 
to Rangers. It's a very strange deal. It's a very, very strange deal. It says a lot about how much he's fallen off. Not that he was ever great. He's always been one of the more overrated players in British football. But there he goes. Hope he does well. Uh, if he can stay on the pitch, maybe he will. Um, big news if you're an Irish football fan, keeping an eye out on young Irish players. Cahill Heffernan has joined AC Milan from Cork City. 16-year-old Irish under-17 captain. Big, tough type of centre-back. A lot of hype around him. A lot of hype around him. So really hope he does well. Uh, he's the third Irish youth international to go to Syria. Kevin Zeffi, who might be the most talented player we've got coming through the ranks, is at Inter Milan. He is really, really gifted. Really, really gifted. And then you have James Abankwa at Udinese. And I have to say, I don't know a whole lot about him. But um, he is coming to St. Patrick's, St. Patrick's Athletic on loan. Coming back to St. Patrick's Athletic on loan. He was with St. Pat's. St. Pat's on my team. I should know this guy. He's played nine times. I just don't watch them enough. Uh, he's from Letterkenny originally. Up in Donegal. Moved to Longford. What crime did the poor boy commit that his family moved him to Longford? And then he moved to Dublin. Played for Cherry Orchard. Signed for St. Pat's. And Udinese signed him. That is magnificent. Absolutely brilliant. 800 grand plus add-ons. About a million quid. This kid must be special. He's only 18. So he's one to keep an eye. And then James Abankwa, Carl Heffernan, and Kevin Zeffi. Keep an eye on those three names because um, it might well be that one of them becomes something very, very special. Uh, Joe Canseo has signed a new five-year deal at Manchester City. Ties him to the club till 2027. I think it's an extension of three years, really, is what it is. Uh, I'll take my quick break now, and it will be a quick break. And then when we come back, we're just going to wrap up with the gossip and be done for today. Gossip the day the transfer window, a day after the transfer window ends is always interesting. See you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So I know I skipped over the top three in the league, but City only signed Julian Alvarez. He won't arrive until the... Until the summer. Um, Chelsea did sign Mason Burstow, super highly rated young player from Charlton. He's gone back on loan. Uh, we'll see what happens with him when he gets to Chelsea, how he develops. I'd imagine there'll be a few loans because, uh, you know, it is Chelsea after all. But he's he's very highly regarded. And I skipped over Liverpool. Liverpool obviously signed Luis Diaz. They fell short of getting the Carvalho deal across across the line. I've done the Daily Red podcast today on Anfield Index. You can have a listen there. Talked a lot about Diaz on Friday, so I don't want to overdo it. There's a bunch of stuff on Anfield Index if you want to go and listen to it there. It's all there. And myself and Carol Matchett did a scout it today, and we had a bit of a chat about Diaz. AI scouted, so check those out. Um... But yeah, so that's that's that. Don't want to get too into grades and winners and losers and that because myself and Kevin DeVries this weekend 
we'll do our review of the transfer window and we'll give grades to all 20 teams. Part one of that will come out in his feed on Sunday or Monday and part two will come out in this feed on Tuesday or Wednesday of next week. So keep an ear for those. They'll be good. They're always fun. Um, but yeah, we'll wrap up with the gossip and we'll be done for the day. Uh, French striker Kylian Mbappe has agreed to join Real Madrid on a free transfer when his Paris Saint-Germain contract expires in the summer. This is Bild reporting it. And I'm guessing Christian Falk is somewhere behind the noise. Uh, George Wheeler, or Jorg Wheeler, is the guy whose name is on the article. I'm going to call spoofing on this one. Um, I'm. Everybody knows that's where he's going to go. Uh, this is just jumping the gun. As if a German newspaper will know about a French striker from a French club going to a Spanish club before any newspaper or outlet in those countries. Like, let's not pretend that we don't see this nonsense all the time. Leon tried to sign Alex Lacazette during the transfer window and will now look to do so this summer. Be nice to see him go back there, finish out his career, where it all started for him. Uh, Newcastle target and Dutch defender says, Sven Botman says he is happy at Lille, or fine at Lille, I actually said, but expects to leave in the summer. Yeah, I expect him to leave as well. I just don't expect it to be the Newcastle. Um, Aaron Ramsey was offered to Brentford, West Ham, Aston Villa, Crystal Palace, Wolves and Arsenal before joining Rangers. I think his only other option was Burnley. I do think that's his only other option. Any other club that was willing to take him. Uh, Aston Villa considered making a £50 million move for Yves Basuma during the transfer window. Considered, but didn't. Aston Villa turned down three bids for Douglas Louise in January, including one on deadline day. I believe that was from Arsenal, as they hope to tie him down to a new long-term deal. I hope he's smart enough to sign that deal. Everton moved to sign Idrissa Gay late in the transfer window. Made sense. That's That actually would have been a smart signing for them. Barcelona explored the possibility of sending Usman Dembele on loan to Arsenal as part of the deal to bring Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang to the new camp. He's out of contract in the summer. Why would they have loaned him? Jesse Lingard was told on Monday that he could leave, but it was blocked from going on loan. United did him dirty. I assume the Greenwood thing changed things for him. Uh, United blocked a loan move from Watford for Dean Henderson. They, they really have treated Henderson badly. Um, Chelsea had two transfer window bids re- rejected from, from Mason burst out. They obviously got it done after the deadline, but it is what it is. It's done, and he's back at Charlton on loan till the end of the season. Leeds turned down the chance to sign Harry Winks on loan as well as Donny van der Beek on loan. Why? Either of them would have helped you massively. Winks in particular would have been a big help. Bizarre. AC Milan have emerged as rivals to Leeds with their interest in Brandon Aronson, who remained at Red Bull Salzburg at the end of the window. Real Madrid manager Carlo Ancelotti has been told he must resit his UEFA coaching exam after his certification expired. What? Certification. How does it expire? 
is it not a lifetime thing? That's really strange. Newcastle tried to sign Brazil defender Felipe from Atletico Madrid. He is awful. New manager Frank Lampard will have a galvanizing impact at Goodison Park, says that noted doyon of information, Gabby Agbonahor. Um Everton loan signing Donny van der Beek says he believes he has a lot to learn, or he can learn a lot from Frank Lampard, and that his appointment was a key decision. <laughs> was Keane's decision to join from United. You're going to be in for a little bit of a, a shock. Uh, Leicester's 23-year-old defender, James Justin, has held positive talks over a new contract. They should have done this contract when he got hurt. Why not do it last year? Uh, Leicester made loan inquiries from Alang Sar and Nat Phillips that came to nothing, looking for an emergency centre-back. Um... Former West Ham striker Dean Ashton has questioned the club's ambition after they missed out on January transfers. So have I, Dean. So have I. Winger Ollie Tanner will remain at non-league Lewis as he could not agree personal terms at Tottenham. I don't think a lack of personal terms had anything to do with it. I think it was the Arsenal fans who found the tweets where he was slating Spurs, slagging them off, calling them all sorts, and showing that he's quite clearly an Arsenal fan. And then Spurs fans finding them and getting real upset about it. I think that might have been what happened. But I'm sure he'll look. A club will sign him. He's he's clearly very talented. Um, that's it for today, folks. That is me for today. Thank you as always for listening. Thank you to Young Drinkle. I will see you tomorrow. Goodbye. Podcast Network.